What's up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Thursday, July 27th, and it is the first episode of Season 4 of First Down Rundown. Let's, let's all give a round of applause. I'll put a little round of applause sound effect in there for you guys. You guys just heard it. So excited. So super stoked for this new season of First Down Rundown. Um, it's going to be better than all the previous seasons, and sorry we didn't get enough, um, or not as, we didn't get as many episodes of season three in as we did season two. It just happened that way. We've been a little bit more busy this past year, but this year we're, we're you know, we're coming at you even harder, and we're super excited to do so. We're going to start this season off early, or early enough, because we're going to start talking about football today, and that's what it's going to be from here until probably the Super Bowl. So you'll hear about football every single episode from here until then. It, it's our favorite time of the year. It's the fall. I mean, who doesn't like football season? Mad and I's favorite sport. It's probably your favorite sport, too, if we're being honest, if you live in America. So, um, yes, super excited to get started on this new season. Um, today we are doing just SEC. We were going to try to do SEC and Big Ten, but we decided it's going to be way too much to put in one episode. So we're doing just SEC today, talking about college football, best conference in college football today. We'll be doing all of that. We'll be doing ten total teams, five each, for, five from each division, and then we'll do another episode on Big Ten, and then the rest of the Power Five we'll do in some fashion in another episode. So expect about three, maybe four college football episodes coming out of this little series here that we have coming up and then we'll be going into nfl after that right before the nfl season starts college football season starts a little bit earlier than the nfl so that's why we're doing this in the order that we are doing it but i've got matt right here next to me i actually got my first tattoo today and matt gets to see it so matt how are you and how does my tattoo look it looks it looks good. Thanks. However, I must say that uh, it, it's it's a pleasure to be mentioned secondarily to your tattoo. Yes. I will say that. Uh, so, Always. but you know, eh, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it looks it looks very nice. Thanks. Uh, the point is, though, as Hayden mentioned, it's football season. Well, it's not it's not football season yet. It's obviously still late July, but to us, it's football season. All right, it's been football football season for me for basically ever since Georgia beat TCU sixty five to seven on January twentieth or whatever it was. So, yeah, so we're doing college first, we're doing NFL second. Uh, we, we didn't do as extensive of previews last year as we're doing this year, uh, mainly because last year we did a basically a documentary podcast on what we call the NCAA Doomsday scenario series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, and that's what's called an evergreen topic, which, Hayden, could you enlighten us? Yes, an evergreen topic is a topic that doesn't die out with time, and it's timeless, and you can listen to it whenever and still get information out of it. That's right. And the NCAA doomsday scenario, which is what the podcasts are about, uh, is 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 going to remain a question or a scenario. Of, of, well, it's really going to happen eventually, but, you know, going to take a few, few years before, you know, before anything really happens there. It's just we did a lot of work for that. We put a lot of preparation into it. We did a really great job with it. Um, so go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. And that honestly, a lot of what we talk about in those podcasts relates to what we're talking about in this podcast yes. and kind of the next couple ones to come because we're talking about college football, right? And that's kind of the biggest driver, especially when it comes to the NCAA and what's happening with NIL and all this stuff. So yes, uh, so that's why we last year we, we thought about that idea and kind of how that would be a good kind of thing to wrap up the summer, wrap up season three or season season two at that point uh, as we go into football season and season three. 
of the podcast last year. This year, we were like, you know what? Screw it, man. We, we got to get into this. We got to dive deep. We got to prepare our fans for this football season, this upcoming football season. Um, so, so that's what we're doing here today. As Hayden mentioned, we're only talking about the SEC right now just because there's so many teams and so much information to get to. Uh, we're we're going to kind of go over, we, we, again, like Hayden said too, we were going to, we're, we're trying to hit all the teams. It, it, again, we want to kind of give credence to the, the, you know, the best teams, the biggest teams, the most important teams that, you know, we think have a chance of kind of winning the college football playoff um a lot of the teams that we go over it's it's kind of going to be we're, we're going pretty in depth right so you know teams like Ole Miss and Minnesota like you know we're going to get to them you know at some point maybe if they have something to go on during the regular season but but in terms of the preview we kind of wanted to dive deep on the specific stuff that we had for the teams that had kind of bigger news and stuff going on so um so with that being said the only other note that I'll have is that the SEC and the Big Ten which obviously the SEC is this this episode the Big Ten is going to be next uh, episode they're the only team, well, the only other conferences other than the MAC, which ironically is the worst conference in, in college football. Um, they still have divisions, and you heard Hayden mention that we're going to basically go by the divisions in terms of previewing these teams, right? So we're going to preview all of the SEC teams first, or SEC West teams first, then all the SEC East teams first. This is the last year that both the SEC and the Big Ten are going to have this division system. Now, you're kind of being like, well, what, what, what the heck's the point of the division? Essentially, what happens is in order to make the, co- the conference championship, you have to – it, well, the conference championship is comprised of the two teams that win uh, – or the one team that wins each of the divisions, right? So – and the biggest, the best example of this is the Big Ten, where you have Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. The best three best teams in the Big Ten by far, they're all in the Big Ten East, okay? Meaning that only one of those three teams, again, the three best teams in the Big Ten, you know, easily, only one of those teams is going to be able to make it to the Big Ten Championship and represent the Big Ten East. And they're going to face off versus the winner of the Big Ten West. Last year, it was Purdue. It's been Iowa in the past. Wisconsin's, a, you know, a big one, too. So so in this, in this episode, in the Big Ten episode, we're going to kind of have to go through in terms of the divisions of each of the conferences – and then line up for who's going to make uh, who's going to make kind of the the, the conference championship. Uh, so that's essentially kind of disclaimer in terms of you know if you're hearing oh well you know th- these teams why are you grouping them to why aren't you talking about Georgia with Alabama and the same because we're kind of trying to you know break it out um, by division so it all makes sense in terms of you know kind of what the end of the season is actually going to look like. Yes, and a very a very simple way of what Matt was trying to lay out, which he did a very good job of explaining it, but a very simple way or, or more like picturesque way to describe that is the reason you won't hear us talk well this is this would be a big 10 example but we're, we're not going to talk about um ohio state and michigan being in the conference championship together this year because they can't be they always have they always have their game that they play against each other and during the the regular season because they're both in the big 10 east but they can't play each other in the in the big 10 championship because they're in the same division and either michigan or ohio state has to play a, a worse team from the Big Ten West, but again, we'll get to them. We'll get to the Big Ten in the next episode. But yes, that's why you know LSU can't play Alabama in the SEC championship because they're both in the SEC West. So that's just kind of a an easier way to explain it. But with that being said, we've kind of done all of our uh, all, all of our talking, yapping here in the intro. Gonna hop right into the SEC West. So the first one we're going to go over, the first division I guess we're going to go over, the first conference we're going to cover in general is the SEC because that's the biggest one that everybody loves hearing about. Um, it's you know it's, it's the one that usually has the most teams in the playoff. Last year we had two Big Ten teams in the playoff, but and we only had one SEC team, and that was there was some controversy behind that with Alabama not getting in. But this year 
still SEC is, is kind of the conference that everybody wants to look at in terms of teams that are, you know, or conferences that are going to have the most amount of teams in the playoff this year. So starting out with the SEC West, that's where Alabama is. This division is where Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M, Auburn, Mississippi State, all those teams, those are the five teams we're going to be covering from this division here. Starting off with Alabama, Alabama has – so obviously they still have Nick Saban as their head coach, but they have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. Their new offensive coordinator I think is coming from Notre Dame, and his name is Tommy Reese, and their defensive coordinator is Kevin Steele. I can't remember where he's coming from. But new coordinators on, on both sides of the ball. So this is something that you don't really see with a team like Alabama – we saw in past years, you know, a few years ago before Lane Kiffin left Alabama, he was their offensive coordinator. He became a great coach or a great head coach now for Ole Miss. When he first left, uh, what was it, FAU that he went to, Matt? Or He did, yes, you're right. Yes, FAU. See, I know my stuff there. Um, but, yeah, so they used to have, you know, some, some pretty tenured guys there that stayed there for a while before they started making these offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator changes. But this year they have new guys of both. Um, and actually their former defensive coordinator is going over to another team that we'll get to in a minute um, that, yeah, that we'll mention in a minute. But that's my biggest concern with Alabama this, this year is their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator being new. Because, again, you've got a guy like Nick Saban who's been there for so many years and has had so many and has seen so many so many years of success there, but that like their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator changes along with their their new kind of quarterback situation, which they don't know how they're going to figure that out. They basically got a, a battle of three guys right now. Um, one of the guys is not Jalen Milton. Um, it's Jaden Milrow. Jalen Milrow. Yeah, Jalen Milrow. Um, so he was the guy that you saw come in for Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young got hurt for either a game or maybe like a, a few plays in, a, in one game. And you saw Jalen Mil- Milrow come in last year and back him up. He's a great runner. We don't really know how well he does at passing the ball because they didn't really want to take any chances in that game. Um, but then they've also got a guy named Tyler Buckner. He's coming over from Notre Dame as well. So he basically followed his, his offensive coordinator or his, yeah, his offensive coordinator from Notre Dame over to Bama. And so they both transferred over to, um, to Alabama and, Essentially, Tyler Buckner is the more experienced guy. I think he's had the most in-game snaps as a college quarterback so far. Um, and so people kind of expect him to win the job, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count the other guys out yet. Uh, there's, there's two other guys. I think one's a redshirt, fresh, redshirt sophomore, Jalen Milrow, and then there's a redshirt freshman as well. And then there's Tyler Buckner, who I believe is a sophomore or junior or something like that. So expect the Notre Dame guy, the Tyler Buckner guy to win this out uh, because right. The offensive coordinator is Tommy Reese, who is coming from Notre Dame and who has already coached Tyler Buckner, but I won't count, count any of the other guys out just yet, but that's, that's my biggest concern. This is probably the most uncertain year for Alabama in the recent past, even, even more uncertain than last year. And even last year was a little bit questionable. So Look out for Alabama to maybe have a couple struggles this year, but still, I mean, I, I still expect them to win the SEC West. Yeah, it, Hayden's exactly right. There's there's definitely some un- uncertainty in positions where there hasn't been uncertainty in a while, right? Especially when you think of Alabama, where you essentially had a run of Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and then Bryce Young, who are all starters in the NFL right now and really good starters, right, at that. So, uh now we're entering a period where there's not really a solidified quarterback. Hayden mentioned uh, Jalen Milrow, Milrow, who came in and played for Bryce Young, and 
he was a really high recruit. He was a you know he was a top guy, but ha- just in the way that he was playing, they just it, it he didn't look like the part. He didn't really look like that kind of classic. Okay, this is the guy who's going to take over for sure. He's going to become Alabama's starting quarterback. So. They also had another recruit. It's not a guy named Ty Simpson. I think that's who Hayden was, was referring to earlier. Uh, Ty Simpson, again, pretty good, but like not as good as Jalen Milrow. And then even when we saw Jalen Milrow get in, he wasn't that great, right? So you honestly you have this kind of situation where it's like they have good recruits at you know at the quarterback position, but neither of them have looked like kind of your you know the, the talent that you would expect uh, to be a starting quarterback at Alabama. And so that's where the, the interesting part about this whole Tyler Buckner thing coming over from Alabama or coming over from Notre Dame is the fact that Tommy Reese was hired as the offensive coordinator like way before any of this Tyler Buckner stuff, right? So it was essentially um the 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 Tommy Reese was the he was the offensive coordinator at uh, at Notre Dame. He also played at Notre Dame. This is how I know I'm getting old cuz I remember Tommy Reese starting games at Notre Dame. He and he ended up becoming the offensive coordinator. He was there for a while even when Brian Kelly was still there and they were, you know, they were kind of making the the college football playoff and everything. He goes to Alabama and like a couple months later, we're still asking questions like who's going to be the Alabama quarterback. Obviously, you have a good coach in Tommy Reese now. You know, who is he going to choose to be his 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 quarterback? And then, like a couple days later, we hear that Tyler Buckner has transferred to Alabama. And that was like the biggest red alert, like alarm bells going off because – Tyler Buckner was okay, but like he wasn't that great. I mean, think about Notre, what Notre Dame has been for the past two or three years under Tyler Buckner's, you know, kind of at the helm there. They haven't been that great, right? And Tommy Reese was the offensive coordinator for the time that Tyler Buckner was there. So it's, an argument could be made that Tommy Reese left Notre Dame because he's like, I can't deal with this guy, Tyler Buckner, not being that great and making me look bad all the time. So I'm going to go to Alabama, the one place that I should be able to get away from him. And then he goes to Alabama, figures out that neither of the quarterbacks there are that good. And he has to, I assume that he had a he had a role in basically bringing Tyler Buckner to Alabama, uh, you know, kind of soon thereafter. So that's what makes me kind of worried about this whole thing is the fact that like Tommy Reese didn't really want to coach Tyler Buckner in the first place, but basically realized that neither of the options at Alabama were that great. And so he had to bring over Tyler Buckner and you know, at the end of the day. Uh, so yeah, I definitely agree with Hayden. The quarterback situation is, is very weird, which has, it has not been for a while at Alabama. Uh, not to mention, obviously you lose Will Anderson on the defensive side. Their defense is definitely going to be kind of, you know, your classic Alabama defense. They're, 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 you know they're basically reloading. Um, they're gonna have another great name in the secondary, Kool Aid McKinstry, uh, coming back, and he 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 starred as a freshman too. So I think their defense is gonna be really good. But I mean seriously, if you don't have, and I mean maybe last year they got Jameer Gibbs as a transfer running back from from Georgia Tech. So you don't even have kind of that like okay, well at least we have a solid you know a solid running back, a solid quarterback, and and the receiving core is okay. But again, it's it's nothing like the Jamison Williams and you know and 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 uh, De- uh, Devontae Smith and and Henry Ruggs and like those guys that have just been kind of churning out of Alabama too. So the offense is going to be interesting. But again, I mean, really, that's what Nick Saban built up Alabama on was great defense and okay offense. Uh, now, obviously, the game has changed a lot, and offense is kind of the key to, to, to winning now. So we will see what's going to happen. I think that obviously, you know, right, Alabama's still going to be really good. Um, but but if, if there was any time to kind of start to theorize, is this the end of the Alabama dynasty? Now might be that time, especially depends on what, you know, obviously kind of what happens this season but they do have a tough schedule so it's gonna it's, it's gonna be interesting that's that's for sure all right moving on to this LSU team and I made a mistake when I said that I thought Alabama was gonna win the SEC West because I actually think that LSU is gonna win I, I was just I just said that as a way to kind of end off my talk which I tend to do so that's my mistake 
But this LSU team, um, if, if you guys haven't really been following college football that closely for the past couple of years, LSU has had a weird couple of years here. So after they won the, the national championship with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and all those guys in 2019, which a lot of people think could be named the best college football team ever, um, you know, next to like the 1990s Miami and a couple of the Alabama teams here and there. Uh, after that season, they basically just tanked. Like, they didn't, you know, once once those really good guys went to the NFL, they tanked. Ed, Ed Orgeron got fired. He was out. And then they hired a guy named Brian Kelly, who Matt was just talking about a little bit in his Notre Dame stint right there. Hired a guy named Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. Brian Kelly is a heck of a recruiter. And he basically just got a bunch of studs to come to LSU and rebuild the program in basically a year. And now they're sitting right at the top there of the SEC West competing with Alabama again. So huge props to Brian Kelly for doing that. If there's one guy in college football that can do it, it's it's him, and he's shown it. Um, and so the first thing that I wrote for this, for this LSU team coming up this year is that they're shaping up to look a lot like the 2019 LSU team that won the championship that I just mentioned is considered as one of the best college football teams of all time. They have an elite receiving core uh, with a bona fide QB. So their QB is – Jaden Daniels, and uh, I, I can't remember the, the names of the receivers, but they're receivers that I think they're either transfers or guys that have been there for kind of a while and are coming back and are just going to get even more reps. Um, so they got Jaden Daniel, Daniels, who's a very, very good runner as well as a very good passer. He's kind of that, you know, that hybrid that we look for in a college QB that makes college quarterbacks stand out against some NFL QBs and just, uh, just other co- college quarterbacks in general. And then they've also got on the defensive side, uh, I, I wrote down one guy and then Matt wrote down another guy. I'll let Matt talk about the, the guy that he wrote down. But I wrote I wrote about uh, Harold Perkins the third. So if you don't know about this guy, he was a true freshman last year. He's an edge rusher. He's, he's kind of like a linebacker slash edge guy. So sometimes he'll he'll line up with his hand in the dirt. I think, yeah, I, I think he kind of goes both ways. Like sometimes he'll, put, he'll have a hand in the dirt and then sometimes he'll be just standing in a two-point stance. And he comes off the edge and – He's, he's almost always involved in the play. I mean, if you watched him last year, again, as a true freshman playing in the SEC, the toughest conference in football, and he was making, he was making plays. I don't know, I don't know like what his, count, his tackle count was or his you know, fumble, forced fumble count was, but I definitely saw him force a couple fumbles, and I didn't watch every LSU game. It's not like I was, I'm, a, I'm a huge LSU fan. But let me tell you, this guy, Harold Perkins, is a dog, and he's only a so- true sophomore this year. So – Look for him to make a huge difference on the defense on the defensive side of the ball. LSU usually has some pretty good corners, um, and you know their 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 safeties are pretty good too. They've had a, a few good safeties come out of Louisiana in in, in the past you know seven ish years. So look for uh, look for LSU to make a, a huge run in this SEC West. Like I said, I made it a mistake when I talked about Alabama, said that they were going to win. I think that LSU um, is really shaping up to to kind of beat Alabama this year because, again, Alabama has a shaky year. They don't really have a, a clear idea of who they're going to be this year, and I think that a lot of people are looking at them and saying that this is their conference or this is their division to lose and it's LSU's division to win because they, they had those kind of, you know, those dropped years in 2020 and even 2021. So look for LSU to make a huge run this year. They, I, I love their team again. I think that they have one of the most balanced and perfect teams out of any team that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, completely agree. Um Hey, and I bet this. I bet LSU over nine and a half wins. I bet mm-hmm. LSU at twenty-two to one to win in the national championship. Uh, it, I, I I called for this basically this time a year ago. 
right? I said Brian Kelly's coming in to be the coach of LSU. Now, what did Brian Kelly do at Notre Dame? He is, I think, the winningest coach all time in Notre Dame. He got them to the championship game that they lost uh, to to Jameis Winston in Florida State. He got them to another college football playoff appearance where they got crushed by Alabama. But this is Notre Dame, all right? It's hard to get into Notre Dame. It's hard to take transfers to Notre Dame simply because the academics are, you know, are very rigorous. And so if he's doing that well with those players at that school, imagine what he can do with the original gangster LSU who's just handing off bags of cash and Chick-fil-A bags to guys on the side of the road, right? This is like it was the perfect storm for a guy like Brian Kelly who's an ultimate, you know, program runner. He was even he was Cincinnati, he was at Cincinnati before before Notre Dame. He put Cincinnati on the map, right? So he's just built the program wherever he's gone. And I, right, seriously, I sat here a year ago and I said, give it, give him three or four years to get his kind of recruiting, his, you know, his, 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 his type of guys uh, in his recruiting zone. And, and he will, he will turn the program around. Well, he actually did that in one year last year. Um, they beat Alabama last year. They got to the SEC, SEC championship. They lost to, obviously, you know, they lost to Georgia, but, but had a 10 win season in his first year. Um, that only, points to better things to come and and i think that you know this year having not lost a lot of the talent from last year uh just just kind of sets them up for an even better uh an even better you know chance to 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 just be great this year uh and so that's kind of my thing um i'm not even going to go i mean hayden did a great job kind of explaining the whole you know the, the way that the teams come together and everything it's it's true i mean they, they really have their set at every position i think they have the third well probably second best receiving corner in the entire entire country obviously behind ohio state um but but right it's it's just it's it's this team is built for it, it they're going to be i mean it's seriously they're going to be in championship contention for the next literally as long as brian kelly wants to coach um but yeah definitely think that they're a darker now the odds have gone down. If if you still, my best bet at this point is going to be to uh, to bet the over nine and a half wins on LSU schedule because here's the thing: they play at Florida State in the first game. Now Florida State, and we'll get to it when we preview the ACC. Florida State's a top five team this year, right? They're really really good. The only other team that LSU might struggle with on their schedule is Alabama, right? So even if they lose to Florida State and Alabama, you're still looking and they win all their other games. You're still looking at a ten win season, and I personally believe that they're going to beat Florida State and Alabama. So I very much think that a 12-0 LSU season is in the works. Um, I'm extremely high on this team. They're my favorite team to to just to, you know, be excited about um, for this upcoming season. And and I am super excited about LSU. So yeah, not gonna not gonna hold it up any longer. But uh, but that's that's my those are my thoughts, Hayden. All right. Well those are pretty good thoughts there. I think we kind of have the same sentiment there on LSU. Moving on to the third team in the SEC West here we got Texas AM there's one thing that I have to say about Texas A&M, and then I'll give it to Matt, is that they are always the most let-down team, or at least in the, in the recent past, they have been the most let-down team ever in, in the regular season. Before every season, they always boast about their recruiting class. Like last, Before last year, they had the best recruiting, recruiting class ever in the history of college football, in the history of football in general. They had – it was like a 90-something rated – uh, fresh, freshman class coming in to Texas A&M and they've fumbled the bag and I think they went four and eight or something like that last year. So you never really know with this Texas A&M team. They have one of the best transfer classes this year as well. But again, I don't even really want to speak on their transfer class yet and say I have high hopes for this team because I can't really say that with full confidence because of how they've done in the past few years when they've had, I think they've had a, a top five transfer class the past three years or at least two years. So I mean, not, not transfer class, um, just recruiting class in general. Like, they've had a top five recruiting class 
in the recent years, and they just haven't been able to get it done in the regular season. And they actually have had losing seasons. So it, it it's not even like they, they had an 8-4 and four season. It's like, oh, you, we, you know, they lost a couple more games than you would have liked. They're losing many more games than you would like to see. So I'm not even really going to speak on the transfer class. I'm just going to note that they do have one of the best transfer classes, one of the best rated transfer classes in the nation. But, again, this Texas A&M team, you can never really trust them. Hey, it, it, yeah, Hayden's right. Um, Jimbo Fisher is their head coach. He coached at Florida State when Florida State had its big run, uh, right? Jameis Winston, you know, Dalvin Cook, all those guys. Um, Derwin James and Jalen Ramsey were on the same team in college. I still look back at that, and I'm like, that's insane. So, yeah, he's a great coach, but he's he's kind of a kind of a uh, what do they call it? A micro oh, micromanager. Yes. That's what he is. Yeah. Um, and and so he he calls his own plays. He handles the offense, all this stuff, and it's kind of like, dude, he, that was ten years ago, right? That that you that you had Jameis Winston, and 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 obviously, you know, the best offensive line in like the history of college football. So, the game has changed a little bit. You're going to have to kind of adjust to the times here, and he kind of refuses to do that. Now, what they did to to kind of aid that for this year coming in is they hired a guy named Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator. And if you have never heard of Bobby Petrino before, all I need to say is that he was the guy who coached Lamar Jackson at Louisville. All right. So if there's any person who knows offense and knows how to, you know, scheme open guys, or at least just utilize the athletes that you have on your team, it's Bobby, Bobby Petrino. Now there's been, they had SEC media days last week and it was kind of, you know, they, people were asking Jim Fisher, like, you know, who's calling the plays. And Jim Fisher was like, uh, well, you know, we haven't necessarily decided that yet. And it's like, dude, can you please just give this up to a guy who clearly knows how to coach offense better than you? Like, it's okay. Like, your team's going to be better because of this. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I have a feeling that eventually he'll kind of give in and, and see that, uh, you know, he, he kind of needs to hand over the playbook to Bobby Petrino. But anyway, I, I think that – and Hayden's exactly right. They've just underperformed. They've just been – it's just – it's just it's underwhelming every single season with Texas A&M. Uh, it really, ever since Jimbo Fisher has got has 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 gotten there, right as as the head coach. But I do think that they they've been so young because he kind of they were kind of uh, I don't know. I guess you know when Kevin Sumlin was there, they had Johnny Manziel. Okay, cool. Mike Evans, great. Uh, but after that run and and there for the next like five or six years, they they didn't really do much. They weren't really there at all. Uh, so. Now that Jimbo Fisher's come in, he's gotten the recruiting on, you know, on on, a, on the at least the ball is rolling. Uh, you know, as Hayden mentioned, got that great recruiting class a couple of years ago. They're up near the top pretty much every year. So we're kind of now seeing those players grow up and develop and mature into kind of, you know, develop college football players, which is what you need when you know, you're competing in the SEC West, right? So I do think that Texas A&M is going to be better this year. I think they their win total, I think, is like seven and a half. Um, I, I didn't bet it, but I think, you know, I think they're going to win more than seven games. I think they – I mean, they, they had Alabama on the ropes last year. Uh, they beat LSU last year, right? I mean, all of what I just talked about with LSU, they actually – Texas A&M won that game. Now, they do lose, you know, a guy like Devon A. Chain, who, who was great, right? Uh, but but a, a great player that you're going to want to watch, his name is um, Evan Stewart. He's a wide receiver. He could be the second best wide receiver in the country, uh, behind you know, obviously Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State. Uh, he's he's kind of like your Mike Evans type, just super long and tall and goes up for every ball. So um, yeah, so I think as much as we want to kind of you know trash on, on Texas A&M for continually being bad, I at least have some hope for them this season. But again, from what they've shown us, it doesn't it doesn't sound uh, or it, does, it 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 hasn't been promising up until now. Hopefully, they can kind of turn around this season. 
All right, moving on to this fourth team here in the SEC West. We've got Auburn to talk about next. I don't really have much to say about Auburn either. These teams that are kind of on the lower tier of the SEC West, I'm not going to speak on too much. You'll find that that's kind of a theme for the lower teams of every division that we're going to go over today. So I'm going to be talking more about the teams at the top of the division than the bottom. But Auburn, uh, they also had to have a very notable transfer class this year. I think it's 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 one of the best. I think it's like a top three. I don't know where it ranks in relation to Texas A&M um, and, their, and their transfer class, but Auburn also has one of the best transfer classes in the nation this year. They also have a new head coach, Hugh Freeze, coming over from Liberty. If you remember us talking about that when it first happened, when Auburn first got him, Matt might have a little bit more to say about him. But, um, but it's yeah, it's Liberty's like a, a head coach from Liberty sounds kind of like a downgrade, um, but he's, he's actually a really good coach, and he built up Liberty to – get Malik Willis and, and just build a better team in general and actually have, you know, start having winning seasons. So, um, so that's all I'm going to say about Auburn this year. I don't expect them to really compete like they used to when they had Cam Newton and all those guys, Gus Malzahn is gone and he was the head coach there for a good while. Um, and he, he did a good job there. It was kind of like coach. O. he did, he did a good job and then he kind of fell off and then they fired him. And then now they brought in Hugh freeze from Liberty. So, Expect Auburn to be kind of middle-tier SEC this year, middle-tier to low-tier SEC this year. So that's my, that's my take on them. Yeah, so Hugh Freeze has a history outside of Liberty as well. So Hugh Freeze was the Ole Miss head coach back when, like 2014-ish when they were actually in the first ever release of the college football playoff rankings. You know how like on Tuesdays they do like the, you know, here's what the top teams are right now. The season ended right now. Ole Miss was actually in the first ever release of that in 2014. Ole Miss was the number one team. So there's a piece of a piece of trivia for you. Who was the first team ever ranked number one in the in the college football playoff history? It was Ole Miss, uh, and Hugh Freeze was the coach of that team. Now, and he beat Bama a couple times. Like that was when they, you know, how, hey, remember when they do like they were doing the Sharks and they call them like the Land Shark defense yeah. and everything. Yeah. So oh, Hugh Freeze was the coach of Ole Miss when that happened. Now he got hit with some recruiting violations and whatever because again it's the SEC, so fine. Um, but uh, but then and so he was out of coaching for a while because he didn't couldn't really find a job. Liberty was like, we don't really care what your criminal background is. We're still going to hire you because we want to make our athletic program so good. And as we saw with Liberty, this guy can still coach, right? So. Uh, He's back where he was great at in the SEC West, right? Uh, just with a new team now in Auburn who has more money and better recruiting grounds uh, than Ole Miss. So I think that this is a really great hire for Auburn. I think they're headed in the right direction. I'm going to kind of give them my grade on LSU, what I thought of LSU would have been last year, where, you know, give it three or four years, Auburn's going to be right back where they were, un, you know, under Gus Malzahn when they had Cam Newton and everything, you know, kind of uh, attempting to win national championships. So honestly, I think in the, you know, in the near future here, Auburn and LSU are going to be kind of the cream of the crop in the SEC West. And Alabama, you know, might, might kind of fade into the distance a little bit. The only other team we want to hit for the SEC West is Mississippi State, only because, most notably, Mike Leach, who was their head coach, um, he actually passed away a couple months ago, right before their bowl game, I think in, in January. Uh, he is known as – he's a legend in the, head, in the head coaching space, especially in college. He's basically known as the guy who started the air raid, right? So essentially what all college offenses are now and what we're seeing in the NFL a lot too, you know, especially with the best teams, Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs being one of them, is running this past – you know, heavily passing style offense. And Mike Leach was, was kind of the developer of that. You know, he was at Texas tech a, a while back. He was at Washington state. Uh, and realistically, all of his quarterbacks have had, you know, insane numbers basically every year. So he was doing that at, at, at Mississippi state. They won nine games last year. They were kind of on track to become, you know, a real powerhouse in the sec West here. And then obviously, you know, tragically he, uh, he, he dies. So they actually promote a, their defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, who's, 
a good coach and has experience, but not enough, I think, to be an effective uh, head coach of an SEC team. Uh, their quarterback is Will Rogers. He again probably has. He's probably broken most of the SEC passing records simply because he was uh, under the tutelage of one Mike Leach. Uh, he's a great quarterback, but they're going to undergo a total scheme change in terms of how they're doing the offense. I think they're going to they're going to run a pro style offense under Zach Garnett. So look to miss, look for Mississippi State to kind of decrease in terms of you know their. Uh, their I guess their stature in, in the in the SEC here um but but definitely wanted to mention them just because they're kind of you know it's, it's kind of just a sad passing of how uh, everything happened at least in the, at the end of the season here so uh so yeah so that'll wrap up the SEC West all right let's move into the SEC East now so Georgia uh is the first team that we're going to talk about because obviously they they are the best team bona fide best team in this SEC East here best team in the SEC a lot would argue and you would probably be right it's really just going to be a fight between them and LSU, and if Alabama can somehow pull it together this season and surprise everybody, then they'll be in contention too. But, I mean, it's it's really just Georgia and LSU this year that we're looking at. Georgia, obviously, is, is going to be on top of the SEC East. If they aren't, then I don't, I don't even know. Like, we can just call this whole college football season a bust because Georgia, they're the prototype team that is coming out of this NIL era. They've just gotten to start – well. They've just started getting really, really good right when NIL started. And so that's what's going to keep them going. That's kind of my point here for Georgia. At least this isn't even really like an outlook on this year. This is just an outlook in general on Georgia as a team. They've won the past two national championships, which is hard enough to do as, as you know on its own in and of itself. And everybody's looking at them to win the national championship this year too. So it's, it's just kind of an impossible situation for – all the other teams in college football because again since NIL just started everybody wants to go to these huge schools a lot a big reason as to why you know four and five star recruits would go to smaller schools you know even group of five schools in the past was because they wanted to get playing time right away as a true freshman or as a redshirt freshman or whatever they wanted to play right away but now I feel like a lot of these kids don't even really feel don't really care about playing they just want the five hundred thousand dollar nil deal when they go to georgia that they can get and then kind of just cruise their way to starting at some point in their career down the line and then get drafted after playing one year at georgia because every single nfl scout under the sun goes to every georgia game so that's kind of my take on georgia this year again they don't really have much changing i don't think um you know obviously stetson bennett left but he's not really the the piece that you look at when you look at this georgia team i think their defense is probably gonna be just as good I would hazard a guess so. I didn't really read, read much or read up much on them because I didn't really need to, I feel I feel like, because obviously they're still one of the favorites to win the national championship. So these you know, they're defensive guys that have gotten reps in the past because they've been blowing everybody out by sixty points, aka uh, TCU in the in the national championship game, sixty three to seven. Sixty five to seven. Sixty five to seven, sorry. Yeah, they, like they're they're defensive guys now have been able to get so many reps as as backups in the past that they're gonna basically be the same NFL defense that they've had the past few years um, winning national championships. So, again, I think that Georgia's going to just blow everybody out of this SEC East here. And it'll be fun to see them go up, go up against LSU at some point, hopefully, either in the SEC championship or in the college football playoff. But we'll see who wins that. But Georgia, same same team as always. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Georgia won a national championship in a rebuilding year. <laughs> so two years ago, after they had basically their entire team drafted, remember that? Uh, after they beat Alabama in the national championship and everything was, oh, oh, you know, amazing. This is like the an all-time record for everything. Um, 
then they they won they then won the national championship last year as well and didn't lose a single game. All right. So if that shows you anything, it's the fact that now this was supposed to be the next year that they were going to win the national championship. They ended up doing it last year too, and so now they are even more prepared to do it this year. I, I can't even really say much other than that as to how great they are going to be this year. Um, Hayden, I bet this Georgia to win the SEC. It was like minus one fifteen. Here's the deal. They're going to get to the SEC championship because the SEC East is so bad, at least compared to kind of their, you know, their stature here. I'm going to run through the Georgia regular season schedule really quick and just talk about them in comparison to the teams that they're playing and their those respective win totals. So the first game is going to be against Tennessee Martin. I'll let you take a guess at who's going to win that game. Ball State uh, from the MAC has a win total of, I think, five and a half. South Carolina, win total six and a half. UAB, win total five. Uh, Auburn win total six, Kentucky win total six and a half, Vanderbilt win total four, three and a half, uh, Florida win total five and a half, Missouri win total six, Mississippi, Ole Miss win total seven, Tennessee win total nine, and then Georgia Tech win total four and a half. Okay, the only two teams that were over six are Ole Miss and Tennessee. Ole Miss is at home for Georgia, uh, and and their defense is going to be able to shut down anything that Lane Kiffin throws at them, right? Uh, and then the only, the only, the only chance that they might lose a game is at Tennessee, November eighteenth. But Tennessee just lost an NFL quarterback and two NFL wide receivers. They're not going to be as good as they were last year, which Tennessee was great last year, right? But that's not going to happen, all right? So Georgia's going to go undefeated in the regular season. They're going to get to the SEC championship, and they're probably going to win the SEC championship. Then they're going to go to the NFL or the college football playoff, and they're probably going to win the, the national championship again. It sucks to say this that like. We're, we're literally sitting here and could do four hours worth of talk in the SEC and the Big Ten just tonight, not even mentioning all the other conferences, when really all of this is just going to end in Georgia probably winning the national championship again. The cool part, though, is, and this is what I'll close it on, Georgia will become the first team to win three straight NCAA football championships since Minnesota in the 1930s, all right? So that's at least something cool to look forward to, even though it's not necessarily fun to look forward to the same team winning all the time, but... Hey, we got through with the Patriots all the, all those years. Maybe someone will be able to beat Georgia. I mean, hey, Missouri almost did it last year, weirdly enough, at Missouri. But, of course, they're playing at Georgia this year. So, probably won't happen. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's the outlook on Georgia. Not much to say after that. Uh, it's, you know, they're just so good. Okay, I'm going to brag about my partner right here, Matt, because what he did was just very impressive. You guys are obviously listening and can't see any of what we're seeing right now, but – he just went through Georgia's schedule on Google, looked at the team. He didn't have the win totals up for each team that they were playing. He knew it off the top of his head, the win total of every single team that he mentioned. Ball State. He knew the win total, estimated win total of Ball State. Go so look it up. Very Yes, very impressive by Matt there. That was that was pretty cool to see is him it, do that. Is it, is it really – should you be really praising me, though, for knowing the, the, the betting insights into well, all no. these teams? <laughs> yeah, because I know that you know so much about betting, and that's pretty much all you and, look at. And here's that. the thing, too. I Like, the stuff that I'm talking about, like, in terms of the bets that I've already made, these are futures bets, right? So it's not necessarily it, – it's an, it's more of an investment for the long term over the course of the season, um, which is a lot easier to do when you have months and months and months to prepare to choose, you know, pick and choose which teams you think are going to go over under or whatever um instead of just being like oh well george is going to be play uab in two hours well i guess i'll just bet them on the spread whereas you can kind of you know it's fun to at least i don't know it's one of my favorite things obviously you can tell that i've done too much preparation well there's i guess there's never too much preparation for football but um but yes i appreciate the compliment hayden but uh it, it is true all of these kind of you know the best that i'm saying i'm making i've already made them and i think that you know they're great investments at least for the long term all right next team here is tennessee from the sec east 
this is another team that last year we saw kind of explode. You know, you know, with Jalen Hyatt, they had that huge game against uh, against Alabama where they won that game, and Jalen Hyatt had, uh, I think it was like 200 yards and four touchdowns or something like that, and as a wide receiver. Um, and then they also had Hendon Hooker at quarterback who went to the NFL, and we don't really know how he's going to do, but they had a really good. They, they had a really good outlook on last season until Hendon Hooker got hurt in, I think it was the game right before the bowl game or something like that. Or maybe it was, yeah, I think, I think it was the game right before the bowl game. And he got hurt in like the first quarter and then everybody kind of, you know. I think, it, I think it was the South Carolina game when in the oh, middle yeah. of South Carolina's biggest run in their program history, yeah. beating Tennessee and Clemson <laughs> in successive weeks. Yes, yeah. And then Spencer Rattler looked like he actually was supposed to be the number one recruit coming out of high school. But anyway, um, yes, Tennessee, they have kind of the same looking team this year. They're going to have a really good offense or assumably a really good offense with uh, Jalen Milton, that quarterback, or Joe Milton, sorry. It seems like every single quarterback's name is Jalen at this point. But um, Joe Milton, that quarterback, I'll let Matt kind of do a little stint on him because he wrote this down. But, um, yeah, they've got a new quarterback in Joe Milton. We've seen him a couple times, but we haven't seen that much of him, and so that's kind of the concern there. And then their defense has just always kind of sucked, and their defense is going to suck again, As at least in co- comparison to other SEC teams. SEC defenses tend to be very good, um, and so we're going to see Tennessee's defense be a pretty mediocre SEC defense again this year, and that's going to kind of be their kryptonite here. Again, it doesn't really matter how good your offense is when you're playing SEC defenses that are just as good as your SEC offense, and then your mediocre SEC defense can't do anything against a very good SEC offense and, you know, teams like LSU who have a more balanced team. So we're not really going to see Tennessee do much this year, I don't think, um, especially with, right, with with a win total of eight or nine, nine it was. I think it, I yeah. think it was nine. That's still kind of a, you know, a, a shaky win total in terms of what you need to win in the SEC. So that's my take on Georgia. Well, it's, it's, it's an average for what, I mean, it's the betting line for what, you know, Vegas projects the their total wins on the season to be, right? Yeah. So you're you're betting them to go over under nine. Essentially, you know, if you bet the over on Tennessee, you think they're gonna go ten and two. That's actually really good, especially, you know, in the SEC. Um I do think that the schedule gets a lot tougher for Tennessee this year. They did play Alabama last year and they won. I think they play I want to say they play LSU and Texas A&M, neither of which they played last year. So it, it, the schedule gets tougher for Tennessee. Obviously, Hayden mentioned you lose, um, you know, you lose your quarterback and two wide receivers from last year. Joe Milton, as Hayden mentioned, he started his career at Michigan. He wasn't good enough to play at Michigan. Well, he did. He played in a couple games, but he wasn't. He wasn't anything worth writing home about. He might have the biggest arm that we've ever seen a quarterback ever have. Uh, he, I think, threw 80 yards on his on his knees, like like sitting on his knees, yeah. threw the ball 80 yards. It's crazy. Um, but the can't, he can't he can't hit the side of a barn. That's what I wrote down here because his accuracy is, has a has a lot to be desired. If you're a Tennessee fan, the positive case for Tennessee this year is that Josh Heupel is 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 an offensive genius. All right, he was at UCF all those years when they were you know they were. He runs essentially the well what is now called uh, well it's now called the run and shoot um there's variations of it art bryles was kind of the kind of the the i guess the genesis for for this type of offense it's essentially and you saw this last year especially against alabama and that's what kind of made tennessee so good against alabama is the fact that they spread the receivers out all the way they utilize the hash marks in college which are very they're a lot closer to another well, a lot um they're 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 further 
apart than the than the NFL uh, hash marks are. They spread their receivers out all the way to the edge of the sideline, and then they run you know basically you know slants and sluggos and, and and go routes and everything off of that. Um, and and it it basically you, you're you're taking advantage of the geometry of the field in order to get you scheme your guys open. Okay, so because of that. <laughs> There's guys running wide open in the secondary in a lot of these plays and a lot of these offenses. That's why Tennessee was so good on offense last year, because they finally kind of made it all click, right? So if Joe Milton has accuracy issues, the one thing to help accuracy issues is having your guys running wide open. And that's what Tennessee is going to be able to do. So I, I like just the, the way that kind of this all comes together. You can, you can see that it'll be a positive. And that's why the win total is high. I mean, seriously, they actually have... Um, I think they're tied for this. They're the third most t- highest win total. I think obviously Georgia's eleven and a half, <laughs> Alabama's ten and a half, LSU's nine and a half, and I think I think Tennessee's nine or nine and a half. So, so they're projected to be te- technically be the fourth best team in the SEC this year, um, and, and and I think that that's for good reason. Are they going to be able to make it to the SEC championship? No, because they're going to lose to Georgia, right? Or if they do beat Georgia, they're only going to have to lose, uh, or they're only going to be able to lose one game in the SEC East besides that. So, uh, you know, the outlook is 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 positive for Tennessee. I don't think it's going to be at I mean and Hayden I think kind of kind of was 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 correct in saying I don't think it's going to be as good as last year. But for the future, I think that Tennessee, you know, if, if they can, you know, continue to kind of invest in their NIL and, and Josh Heupel's obviously, you know, kind of seems like the guy for that job. Um, but but I don't think you're going to you're not going to overcome, you know, the 10 win season last year and the win over Alabama and everything like that. It, it, it might go a little bit downhill downhill from here. All right. Next team here in the SEC East is South Carolina. This is a team that we saw pour it on at the end of last season, as Matt kind of alluded to uh, there at the end. They had a win over Texas and Clemson, and then they looked and they won against Tennessee. But again, that game was it wasn't Tennessee wasn't at full strength, and so if Tennessee did have Hendon Hooker and had basically you know half of their offense in Hendon Hooker, they probably would have been more competitive in that game and probably would have won it if we're being honest. But South Carolina still still very good into the season there. I forget if they won their bowl game too. Can't remember. Ooh, I know they played Notre Dame. Um, I think they. Ooh. It was it was in one of the New Year's Six, right? Because they had such a. No, it good, wasn't. It wasn't that big. No. Or okay, maybe not. Uh, Matt's looking it up right now. But yes, South Carolina had a great end to the season. Spencer Rattler. If you don't, if you don't know about Spencer Rattler, which team did he go to first? Oklahoma. Yes. Got so, beat out by Caleb Williams, which yes. if you're going to get beat out by someone, it might as well be the best overall quarterback and number one pick in the upcoming draft. So, yeah. you know. Right. So he got beat out at Oklahoma by Caleb Williams, transferred over to South Carolina. I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. And he, and for the beginning part of the season, he looked like he sucked. He looked like he sucked at uh, at Oklahoma, too, because I don't know if you guys remember, he, he did start there. And then Caleb Williams came in for him one game when he threw a bunch of picks in the first half. And then Caleb Williams started from there on out. So he transferred over to South Carolina last year, had a little bit of early season struggles, kind of expected for a transfer quarterback, especially a quarterback that's going from the Big 12 to the SEC. Even though it's a worse SEC team, you're still playing other very, very good SEC defenses. So he kind of got used to those and made his way into, you know, into, into the, comfortable, the comfortable position that he seemed to be at the end of the season when he started going off. He had like 400-some yards and six touchdowns, I think, against Clemson, and they ended up winning that game, which that was a huge win because Clemson and South Carolina are rivals, even though they're in different conferences. They're in the same state and pretty close to each other, so that's why they're rivals. But, yeah, he ended up being beating Clemson, their rival. Um, I think this, that was at home. And so, you know, the 
everybody went crazy. Everybody started loving him for being the quarterback that he was expected to be coming out of college because, again, he was a number one recruit or number one quarterback recruit coming out of college. I mean, coming out of high school, sorry. And he just looked like he actually, you know, absolutely crapped the bed at Oklahoma and looked like he was going to stay the same at South Carolina. Ended up being a lot better towards the end. I, I wrote down here that he actually looked like a Heisman finalist in the, in the last few games there of the, of the regular season, which he did. And if he does the same thing that he was doing in those last few games that he played, last few football games that he played, he actually might be a Heisman finalist this year, which that's a crazy take. You probably don't see that happening. You probably see Caleb Williams winning it, which he probably will. But, I mean, look out for Spencer Rattler. If he does play that well, as well as he was, which he, he probably won't, and he'll probably cool down a little bit, um, look out for, for Spencer Rattler to make a pretty big run in the Heisman finals. Yeah, Hayden's right. I mean, it's 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 pretty interesting how kind of this has transpired. The only, I guess, the only knock on Spencer Rattler, which which I think is probably has is 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 still kind of in bearing out. Um, apparently, he's kind of like a, a bad locker room guy. Like not like he's he's kind of a bad leader. He's all about himself. Which again, all kids are nowadays, right? Um, but. But yeah, he he's not necessarily kind of the the leader of the team that you'd want a quarterback, you know, a star quarterback to be. Um, you know, he, he he wants to pad his stats. He wants to kind of be the man. And you know, with a team like South Carolina, where you're not going to have stars on every corner like you did at Oklahoma, you know, with Lincoln Riley, th- there's more of a chance of that happening. And so, you know, you, you kind of take the good with the bad when it comes to Spencer Rattler on a team like South Carolina, who, you know, right, they're they're projected to go six and six this year, right? Um, which is good because they, for a while there, have been pretty bad. Shane Beamer, Shane Beamer, their head coach, has has come in and, and, and pretty well turned around the program. Um, th- their their recruiting has picked up a lot. Uh, they're you know they're kind of you know they're 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 kind of mediocre in the transfer portal they lost a couple key guys um notably jaheem bell who's going to be an insane uh tight end you know kind of hybrid guy for uh, for florida state this year but uh but you know picked up a, a, a few key transfers as well and, and they're recruiting really well like i said too so uh so i, I think south carolina is on the right track um this year is going to be like i said pretty much up and down uh their offense is going to be great spencer rattler can like like hayden said if he looks anything like he did in those last couple games of last year then they're going to be really good but you know, in terms of kind of necessarily competing for the SEC East, I, I don't, I don't really see it for South Carolina at least in the next couple of years. All right, moving on to Florida, our fourth team in the SEC East here. Florida has been a really weird SEC team over the past few years. Uh, they obviously, when you know the Tim Tebow days, and even before Tim Tebow, they had some of the best teams in college football. They were almost always at the top there, but it's a, it's a new era of college football as we've seen the Georgias and the LSU's and Tennessees now. You know, like we see them coming to the top here and Florida just can't really keep up. They got a transfer quarterback from Wisconsin, Graham Mertz, who my best comparison to Graham Mertz is or my best like NFL comparison is Mac Jones. He's like the most mid quarterback you'll ever watch play football. It's cuz except he's not good enough to make it to the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that that too. He, yeah, he's not as good as Mac Jones. He just not nearly as good as Mac Jones was at Alabama cuz Devontae Smith made him look so good, but um, yeah, Graham Mertz, he did almost nothing at Wisconsin. I don't even know why Florida went after him in the transfer portal, but they did, and they ended up landing him. And Wisconsin is usually more of a run-first team anyway. Like, they they don't really have the, the classic air raid style like Matt said or like Matt's been talking about, um, at least in recent years because they've had such good running backs. Yeah, but this year Florida gets a quarterback, Graham Mertz, who just has not proven himself at all. They lost two offensive linemen to the draft, uh, one being – I forget his name, but he, I think he was the highest-ranked guard in the NFL draft this past year, and so they lost him. 
they, their offense just doesn't look as good as as it has in, in past years, and it hasn't even really been that good in past years. And so, yeah, they, they just won't really be the team that we've seen Florida have in the past 10 years ago is, is, is kind of what I'm talking about here. But, um, but yeah, we won't really see Florida do much in the SEC East here. That's why we're talking about them fourth. So. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about this a year ago too, um, probably over a year ago now, when we were doing some coaching changes and upgrades and everything and this was around the time that Billy Napier was hired to Florida to be their head coach he was previously at Louisiana Lafayette and you're thinking who the heck what words just came out of your mouth well before the Sun Belt is what it is well before it was what it is today Louisiana Lafayette ran the Sun Belt and they were really dominant you know that whole time and it was because Billy uh, Billy Napier is a really great recruiter he's a good scheme guy he's a good leader he's kind of everything that you want in a good head coach well so he looks really great, and Florida hires him after firing Dan Mullen after they were in the SEC championship game. Again, this is like the year before Georgia won the national championship. You have to remember, Florida was in the national or in the SEC championship with Alabama. I think that was the Mac Jones year, actually. Kyle Trask was their quarterback. He led the nation in passing that year, and this was under Dan Mullen. And Florida basically said, and, and they actually had a chance to win that game. It was like a late punt situation. Alabama scores, obviously, and, and ends up winning the national championship that year. But Florida was, you know, right, a punt, a weird punt situation away from winning the SEC that year, potentially going to the football, to the college football playoff, and, and they're, you know, in my mind, kind of still there, or at least competing with with Georgia now. Um, they lose that game. Florida fires Dan Mullen, and it's been even worse ever since then. Now, the the obviously the upside to Billy Napier as their head coach, he's a great recruiter. He, you know, he's going to get the right guys in there, and at, you know, we've seen that. Graham Mertz is their is their quarterback now, but. You know, they've already I think they've already signed a five star for next year. So they're going to be again, one of those situations where they're going to be pretty good as we kind of, you know, get get for we move forward here in the next couple of years. Uh, but I mean, there's only so many five and seven seasons that Florida can have before you kind of start questioning, is this the right guy for the job? And again, you, we just went through this after the guy went like 10 and two, you know, prior. Uh, so so that's going to be the interesting thing with Florida kind of, you know, as we go forward here again, I'm not necessarily talking about this year specifically, they're total is five and a half i mean it's like if you bet the under on this team they have a losing record for the second time in a row and 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 again hayden mentioned you know 10 years ago if you're a listener and you're like in high school right now then yeah you probably won't remember like even you won't even remember tim tebow probably but florida did they won back-to-back national championships i think in in 20 2007 2008 so they they're a very history program in college football and obviously in the hotbed of recruiting in florida there right so so it's one of those schools that it honestly should be pretty easy to win at but it seems like at least at least so far in the billy napier tenure uh it, it hasn't gone so well for florida so and and as hayden kind of outlined here the the future is not that bright especially for this year when you have a guy like graham mertz who right transferred out of wisconsin to come to florida and it's like that's the best guy that you get in the transfer portal i mean like really so so yeah definitely echo hayden statements that like they're they're not they're not going to be competing for the top of the sec anytime soon um you know hopefully in a couple years here we get billy napier some time to get his guys in there and 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 you know in the crew recruits start start hitting and, and oh and the other thing i was gonna say about louisiana lafayette when billy napier was there really quick it was again it was like and i actually led to this it was before the Sun Belt was what it is today so it was before coastal carolina it was before appalachian state it was before jmu all these teams that are now troy south alabama all these teams that are at the top of the Sun Belt now they weren't good it, the Sun Belt is now you know one of the premier group of five conferences it was really bad just even three or four years ago and that's when billy napier was dominating at, at louisiana right so 
he was taking advantage of a really easy conference. He was doing really well, and sure, you know, it was a, it was a great recruiting bed in, in Louisiana there, um, but it, it definitely hasn't shown so far in Florida. All right, the last team here is Vanderbilt, which we're going to talk about in SEC East. Last team of the day, last team of the SEC that we're going to talk about. Again, only talking about 10 teams because if we were to talk about all 14, it'd be uh, it'd be a long day, long podcast. You guys would probably be wanting to rip your ears out by then. So Matt's going to talk about Vandy really quick here because I don't really have much to say. I've, I've always thought of Vandy as being – they're kind of another – Notre Dame school, like Matt was talking about, they it's hard to get into Vanderbilt because they're a, a smart school. I don't know what their academic requirements are, um, but it's a lot like UVA as well. I mean, UVA is another very high academic school that doesn't get a lot of good football players or get a lot of good recruits, and they're in a, the best conference in football, which you know makes it even worse. UVA is in the ACC, so they have kind of a break there. Uh, but right, they're in the best conference in football, but they have require at least some requirements higher requirements than most SEC teams for the recruits to have in order to get into the school and in order to be able to play for them. So that's the only thing I'll say is that as this NIL era, you know, continues and gets even further and further down the rabbit hole that's already going down, you're going to see Vanderbilt struggle more and more, I think, to get good recruits, even though they've had, they've had some, you know, some bursts of shining, here and there over the past couple of years, Matt will talk about those and his little stint that he has here. They're still they're still going to be at the bottom of the, at the, of the SEC, and you're not going to see them climb up anytime soon. Yeah, the only reason I wanted to include Vandy here was because they're 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 at least not going to be the worst team, like bona fide worst team in the SEC every single year at, at this point. Now um, they've really revitalized the program. Uh, Clark Lee is their head coach, you know, kind of really solid guy. He's he's hired a bunch of I think he, he actually was the first person to hire they, – they, they have a, a, a general manager. Like, that's a title that a guy has at Vanderbilt. He was, like, you know, a general manager of the football team. And he does recruiting and he does, you know, player development, all this stuff. And it's like that's a that's a perfect, you know, kind of way to nuance your your situation here in the SEC where – right, Hayden said it. You're, you're one of the – you're really the toughest academically in the SEC overall. You know you're never going to be competing to win – you know, more than six games in the SEC while you're in there. You're realistically in the SEC because you're basically getting paid a ton of money from the SEC TV deal and everything like that to be able to continue your, you know, your athletic programs. But instead of just punting on that and being like, yeah, we're going to win two games a year, they're actually rebuilding the program. They're doing a really good job of doing that. And so I'm not going to spend too much time on Vandy because, again, they're not going to they're not really going to make any headlines or anything, but like last year they beat Florida, they beat Kentucky, right? Two teams that like you never would have thought that Vandy would have beaten, uh, you know, even three, two years ago. Right. Um, I think they, they never, they hadn't surpassed three wins in like 10 years or something like that. And they got five wins last year. I think they're on track for, you know, for, I think their win total is like four and a half this year. So, so they're at least not going to be the absolute bottom, like, worst team like for sure in the sec going forward which i think is a pretty it's a it's a it's i think it's a pretty high praise especially considering like hayden mentioned the academic you know restrictions and everything that comes with that being you know kind of in the sec territory too in the hardest conference you're also a very hard school to get into nil transfers uh all that so 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 definitely kind of a you know at least for what hayden said a well-rounded um kind of you know scope of the program but i i'm a little bit more optimistic about vanderbilt in terms of like what they're at least building to not be the doormat of the sec anymore yeah and that's the goal of a lot of sec teams at this point is to not really be last i mean you can't really help being behind teams like Georgia and, and Alabama and LSU because, again, you're, you're, you don't even have realistic hopes of getting to their level, especially in this NIL era. So 
I think that Matt makes a good point there that talking about these teams is good now because you're almost kind of just hoping for them not to be last and for them to build a season that gets them into a bowl game or something of that nature at six wins, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to call it. So with that being said, we're going to round out our, um, our SEC talk there. Next episode, we will have Big Ten. We were originally planning on having both, but we had to change it up because we were talking so much about the SEC here. So you'll have to wait until Big Ten for the next episode. But um, Big Ten will be next episode, and then we'll we'll figure something out for the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 um, to talk about all three of those, maybe in the same, same episode. I don't know. It'll, it'll be kind of tough to do that. But SEC and Big Ten are the most important conferences, so I'm glad that we're getting through these. But with that being said, we're going to move into our rundown segment. I told you guys, or we – we promised you guys last episode, I think it was Matt, promised you guys that we wouldn't forget about Rundown. So we're going to have a little Rundown segment here at the end of the episode. So let's move into that. So Brondy James, uh, if you guys, I'm sure you guys heard, even if you really aren't that big of a sports fan, I don't know really why you'd be listening to us. But if you aren't, if you're more of a casual sports fan, you may have still heard about Brondy James suffering uh, cardiac arrest. He went into cardiac arrest in a practice on Monday. Um, thankfully he's okay, but I'm going to ask Matt here, what does this say about his chances to, for playing this year? I know Matt, that you said in the past that you weren't really high on him playing or being even that good at USC this year anyway. So what does this really say about his upcoming season? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a negative. Obviously the huge positive is that he didn't die (laughs) because I mean, it's seriously, it's like the whole DeMar Hamlin thing. Like that was made so famous because it was Monday night football. Right. This was a Monday. This was a, a practice at 930 in the morning, in, you know, in L.A. where nobody cares about the basketball team and in the middle of July. Right. Um, college basketball is not too far away. Lest you forget, I think a, a mere 16 weeks uh, away from college basketball getting underway. And USC was projected to have a top 25 team. They got the number one recruit, number one, number one overall recruit in the class, Isaiah Collier. Uh, you know, kind of he was going to be I mean, they, they still have they had they had a good team last year. I think they were a 10 seed in the tournament adding the number one player, adding Bronny James. Yes, Hayden's correct. I I wasn't I, I didn't think that he was going to be as good as people are projecting him to be. Uh that's not necessarily a hot take because obviously he's never going to be as good as LeBron because you, you just can't, right? So so I I kind of do feel bad for the kid that like they shouldn't be, you know, nobody should be putting those expectations on him. But even in terms of like LeBron automatically assuming that Bronny's going to make it to the league and being like, oh, I want to retire after I've played with Bronny on the same team in the NBA. I, again, I'm not sure that Bronny's going to make it to the NBA. And it's, again, like, DeMar Hamlin is already practicing, and he's going to play week one, and that's amazing, right? And again, to a certain extent, like, these guys are the peak of, of athletic ability that you could have. And so, right, when there's a freak accident like this, they're kind of able to, to recover from it, obviously, more than a normal person like me and Hayden sitting on our, on our chairs here talking about it. A guy like Keontae Johnson last year, if you remember, he played for Kansas State. He was kind of that, you know, part of that run to the Elite Eight with Marquise Noel. Keontae Johnson, a couple, well, two years previous to that, he played for Florida. He collapsed on the court, and, and it was, a you know, it was a similar kind of cardiac-related uh, issue. Didn't play for, for an entire year, transferred to Kansas State. Had to, like, there were actually multiple universities who were not going to let Keontae Johnson transfer to their school because they were like, if something else happened, like the medical, it just wasn't, nothing was was able to be waived to say that, you know, if, if this happens again, like we can't have this on our watch, right? 
Obviously, Kansas State takes him. He ends up being one of the stars of the team that goes to the Elite Eight. And he gets drafted to the NBA after, again, like the most rigorous, you know, medical testing you can undergo in order to actually like, because again, they don't want this on their hands and and it's just unsafe for him to play. And you you wouldn't want him to do this self or to to do this to himself again. So there's there's definitely, I guess, two of the most recent cardiac related stories ended up being very positive, right? With the guys still being able to play and, 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 you know, obviously kind of, you know, it all being a happy ending. Um, but for it to be Bronny, like, especially after all the, you know, the expectation and, and the hype that's after him, I hope that this kind of just calms everything down a little bit. And again, I, I feel bad almost being like taught the first thing, like we're t- Card- Bronny James suffers a cardiac arrest. Well, Matt, didn't you say that he sucked? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, kind of. <laughs> but like, and so I feel bad that that's kind of like the, 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 you know, the context that we have here. But I think the point remains that I hope this honestly helps people kind of focus on the fact that like he could be, you know, it could have been a way worse than it is. And that, you know, if he's not as good as people were expecting when the season comes around, if he even plays again, that's, you know, that's not a given that it'll come with the caveat that like he he suffered a potentially life threatening injury. Right. So. All right. Next up on rundown, we've got dudes getting paid. So we this week we got three dudes that got paid, that have been in the news for kind of a while here. I guess one more than the other two, which is Saquon Barkley. But the first guy we're going to talk about is Jalen Brown, who got a, I think, five-year, $304 million extension, which is just insane. It's actually – I read that it was the richest deal in NBA history. which is. is. Yeah, which is nuts. because For I'm, a guy who can only dribble with, with his, his right, right hand. hand. Yes, yeah, that's that. exactly right. That's the, that's the point that everybody makes, but I'm a, I'm a Jalen Brown fan. I'm also a Celtics fan, so – I like Jalen Brown, and I'm happy that they signed him. It's just that the, the point is here that the Celtics, they were going to run into a similar situation that almost every other professional te- sports team has experienced at this point where a player wants a max contract because he knows he's really important to the team, and they're in a quote-unquote win-now situation. They have been for the past few years, and they can't get it done, but we won't really talk about that. The Celtics knew that they needed to pay him to keep him, and so they, they had to do so, and they did it, and it's kind of unbelievable how to think how they're – paying him and Jason Tatum at the same time, you know, huge, huge amounts of money, but it is what it is. Um, I'm really, really excited that they signed him. And also we kind of called it our last episode that they would sign him. So there you go. Second guy is Justin Herbert here. Um, and he got a five year, 250, no, $262 extension, $262 million (laughs) extension. Cheapest Um, quarterback in the history of the league. Yes. Actually most expensive. Now he's the highest paid player. And the craziest part about this all is that Joe Burrow is going to sign a contract soon, and he will probably take over the record for being the highest-paid player in NFL history now, too. So it's just going to be a domino effect from here. Saquon Barkley is the last guy here. Like I said, he's he's the most he was the most recent talked-about guy. Um, he ended up signing a one-year, eleven million dollar extension. He took the Giants' offer. I think his his price was twelve million, and they wanted to keep him for eleven million. I think he went down that that one million, which I think is is totally valid in in his case. Um, and now he's yeah now he's going to actually play the first game of the season. So we'll see him play. Only guy left is Josh Jacobs, Matt. But what do you think about these three guys that I just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, we Hayden mentioned it. we talked about Jalen Brown extensively. Uh, we talked about him during the playoffs. We talked about him in our last episode. We're talking about him now because it finally happened. Um, yeah, all the jokes obviously because people say he can't dribble. But here's the deal, man. Like. If you're the Celtics, 
what, like, what other option do you have other than to sign your two best players to long-term deals? Like, yeah, it's going to, they're going to be, you're going to pay them a lot of money, but as we see, and again, the Justin Herbert thing proves this. And, and, and as he mentioned, you know, right. It's, it's basically just the next star player who gets a deal becomes the richest contract in the history of that sport. All right. That's just where we're at in sports in professional sports today. So if you're if you're the Celtics and Jalen Brown, the, the next person, I mean, if James Harden goes to the Clippers and gets a huge deal, he's going to be the highest paid player ever, right? Like it's stuff like this where you're signing him now. Okay, cool. Jalen Brown is 25, Jason Tatum's 26, or maybe the other way around. Whatever, either, whatever it is, <laughs> one of them's 25, one of them's 26. They still have more than 10 good years left in them, and if you can keep them on the Celtics for that long, you, you, at, at some point you got to think they're going to at least get to a finals, right? Much less win one. So. And and you're kind of getting him for technically, I mean, again, it's it sounds crazy, but it's like he's it's the richest contract in NBA history, but it's quote unquote cheap because three years down the line, if his contract was to renew then, they would have to pay him more money, right? So you gotta almost think about this in the future tense where like it's it's gonna be it's it, it sucks now, or it's it seems to suck, but it's like even next year, he's already not gonna be the highest paid player in the league. Similar with with Justin Herbert, right? Where like Jalen Hurts was the highest paid player in the league for like 80 days now it's Justin Herbert and then well prayers up to Joe Burrow we'll get to that in a little bit but Joe Burrow going to be the next highest played player in the in the NFL right it's just it's just going to keep rolling over um to where eventually that Patrick Mahomes deal is going to look cheap right and that's the purpose of it I think just to kind of set it in stone now you know kind of grab lock onto that player while you can and and you know and kind of go from there Saquon Barkley man oh my gosh I don't know if you know this Aiden I looked into this a little bit more first of all the deal that he just signed Whatever that eleven million, whatever he he agreed on it. Okay, kind. The the apparently the only difference as to like what were at least the difference from what caused the problem earlier last week, um, as compared to what the the deal he actually signed was like nine hundred thousand dollars in incentives. All right, yeah. meaning that it's like goals that you have to reach during the season to be able to be eligible to get that money in the first place. So it's like he didn't get more. Like he's not earning a higher salary. He's earning more money if he gets a thousand yards or something, which okay, he probably would have anyway. But what it's like that's the that's the craziest part to me. Well, actually the craziest part, he was I don't know the exact is the exact deal. I probably should have looked this up. He was offered a a big at least a bigger deal than twelve million dollars during the season, and apparently his agent told him not to take it because he could get him more money in the offseason and look where that's happened. Or Dang. look where that's gone. Dang. That's uh I didn't know that. That's that's pretty good analysis there by Matt. But yes, dudes getting paid. Conclusion is is fire your agent at that point. <laughs> yeah, well there you go. Yeah, dudes are getting paid, but dudes are also getting hurt, and that's our third rundown topic here. Joe Burrow and Jalen Ramsey both got hurt. I think today, Jalen Ramsey is having knee surgery, uh, which I saw a report that was like, that basically said he's gonna miss the beginning part of the season. I don't know how many games that means, but if he's having knee surgery, I, I just saw a Bleacher Report came through that said he'll probably be back in December. Which is not that's that's not that's the, more beginning than the beginning of the part. season. Yeah, that's like most of the way through. That's I mean the playoffs yeah. start in January. So yeah. yeah, I think it was an ACL injury, but it wasn't a com- it wasn't a complete tear. And so what they're doing is they're doing surgery to speed up the healing process. But essentially, yeah, he's probably not going to come back until a lot later because ACLs are so, especially if you do some kind of partial tear, which I assume that's what he has, or some kind of rupture of something. Your your knees are weak for a long time afterwards. So. I don't think it's going to be worth it for the Dolphins to bring him back in December at that point. And it's just – he's probably going to be out for the year, if, if we're being honest. But we'll see how time tells that. Joe Burrow is another guy. Uh, we, if you saw the video, there was a video that came out of it where he kind of 
he he already had this like weird sleeve on his right calf or his right leg, um, and then he tried to roll out of the pocket pretty easily. Like it was, it was he was already running pretty gingerly, and then it looked like he strained something. Or I thought that it was Achilles tear when I first watched the video because of the way he stepped and the way he kind of just immediately went down. It was a non-contact injury too, so that's also very indicative of some kind of ligament tear. Um, but I talked to Matt right before we started recording, and he said that he thinks it's a calf strain. Matt, do you have any any more on that? Or do no, you, that was I mean that was yeah. the last thing we saw. But again, we we basically started recording like an hour after I saw that, yeah. and honestly, like four hours after this whole thing even happened. So by the time this comes out, there's probably going to be more information on that. But you know, whatever. Right. So yeah, those are the two guys that uh, that we got news of, or yes, news of getting hurt today. Um, very unfortunate because both of them are really good players. Yeah. Like that. If that's for, the, for teams part. that are going to be com- contenders too, yeah. um, I mean, I we'll get to it, but like I'm very high on the Dolphins. I think you know they, they could be really good, yeah. like Super Bowl potential. Um, and, and this is a big blow to their defense. Uh, and then obviously, right, Joe Burrow, you know, he is who he is. <laughs> um, but and, and we got to think too, man. Like his rookie season, he played what seven games, and then he tore his ACL. Right now, that was because he had no protection and whatever. And then they get him protection and receivers, and the next year they comes back and they go to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, and then obviously AC, AFC Championship last year. So it's almost like you can tell that like he is their team. So uh, hopefully this is this is not bad. But even if it is, like I hope he I hope he because part of the reason that makes it or the part of the thing that part of his game that makes him so good is by staying in the pocket, holding the ball as long as he possibly can to know that he's going to get the right throw off. But, like, again, if you've already torn your ACL, now you're having non-contact like leg injuries. Like, either something needs to change or hopefully he's able to push through. I don't know. But but it, it doesn't bode well for at least, like, the future of kind of what he's going to be dealing with in terms of injuries going forward. Dude, I also heard that Saquon Barkley, there were talks between the Dolphins and Saquon Barkley when they were having contract issues or earlier than that maybe that the Dolphins were thinking about trying to trade for Saquon Barkley wouldn't that be crazy if Saquon was a part of the Dolphins now like they would have essentially no faults or no holes in their team well I I still think they're gonna get Dalvin Cook I mean they've said that Dalvin Cook flew to the Jets today and the Patriots talked to him they don't want him and he flew to the Jets today but I mean the Jets I mean like you have Brees Hall, Michael Carter. They drafted the guy from Pitt, Abanaconda, or whatever his name is. So, like, the Jets have plenty of running backs. They don't need Dalvin Cook. Whereas yeah. Dalvin Cook, he's from Miami. He went to Florida State. Like, this is home for him. He posted the picture, like, in his, like, goodbye post to Minnesota. It was a game in Miami. So, it was, like, him in his <laughs> Vikings uniform. But yeah. the game was in Miami. So, I, I think it's. I think that's where – I think they're going to they're gonna end up signing him. Obviously, you'd probably rather have Saquon Barkley at this point. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, to get Dalvin Cook on a pretty cheap deal. He's only 28 still. he got a couple years left in him. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably where he's going to go. Yeah, I just got to hope he doesn't get hurt. But, yes, that will round out today's episode in its totality. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, sorry we couldn't fit Big Ten in this episode as we had originally planned. But – that just means that we have a whole another episode for Big Ten, and it's gonna be it's gonna be just as good as this one was. Sorry if you guys are still listening to this and realize that I was a little bit more stumbly over my words than usual at some parts. I was trying to go fast because we were trying to get through all of this really fast. Because again, we were trying to see if we could fit Big Ten into this episode, but we ended up not being able to. So sorry if it was a little bit fast paced at times, and I was stumbling over my words a little bit too much more than more than usual, but. Um, yeah, that's just how it's going to go for this episode. Got a lot more football to talk about, so got a lot more time to make up for that, the mistakes in this episode. So um, looking forward to that. Again, you should hear from us again sometime late this weekend, maybe 
maybe Sunday, maybe Monday, one of those days uh, with the Big Ten episode that's going to be coming out. And super excited to do that one because, again, it'll be the same exact format as this one, Big Ten East, Big Ten West, but we'll just be talking about it from you know the perspective of different teams. So we'll probably still do 10 teams total, five teams from each conference, I mean, from each division and do it that way. So with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of the week and slash weekend, and we'll catch you guys at the beginning of next week.